0: Welcome to the scale without burnout podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Silito. This podcast is a result of my purpose to help ambitious business owners like you avoid stress, overwhelm and burnout in the workplace. In this podcast, I share everything I've learned about how to grow a profitable business, stay fit and healthy, maintain strong relationships and develop the right mindset for success. So you can thrive, feel inspired and work at your full potential. I am so excited to finally get my next guest on the Scale Without Burnout podcast. It is Chris Ducker. He is a serial entrepreneur, author of best-selling books, Virtual Freedom, and more recently, Rise of the Upreneur. He's based in Cambridge, uh, England. He owns and operates several businesses with over 350 full-time staff, employees around the world. He's also a trusted business mentor keynote speaker, podcaster, blogger, as well as a founder of upreneur.com, the world's fastest growing personal brand education business. Chris hosts the annual uh, Upreneur Summit, which is held in London, which for obvious reasons this year had to be canceled. I'm going to ask Chris about that, particularly around when to let go of something. We're going to to touch on that later. Uh, He is a self-proclaimed proudest Brit doing business online uh chris ducker i am so pleased to have you on welcome to the show
1: it's good to be here thanks for having me
0: yeah no it's, it's an absolute pleasure chris and you know i've been uh following you working with you not directly but certainly um being part of some of the programs you've been running the youpreneur summit which is just awesome just amazing speakers and uh i was really looking forward to it this year but for obvious reasons uh, it had to be be cancelled, um, so I'd like to talk about that a bit later. Um, you know, Chris, w- this whole experience that we've been having with with COVID nineteen, um, some people feeling the you know the downturn of everything that's happening. I'm curious to what you think, but I think we're going to see more entrepreneurs, freelancers than perhaps any time in history, and the opportunity to build a, a personal brand, which is really becoming quite common right now um i think there's just an amazing opportunities so i'm really looking forward to kind of learning more from you and i'm sure people listening in you know how to build that personal brand and i can't think of any anybody better to speak to about that um, before we get into that can you just tell us a little bit about you and how you arrived at where you are today
1: yeah i mean it's it's a relatively uh Boring story, if I'm to be honest. (laughs) It's, you know, it's derived out of, um, I think, just working hard, taking the right risks at the right time, Um, some paying off, some not paying off. But ultimately, at the core of what I do, I'm still a sales and marketing guy. That's what I've always been my entire career. Um, I dropped out of uh, university, much to my father's dismay. Um, Didn't talk to me for three months, three, four months. Uh, That was scary because he was a big, man in every capacity. Um, and when you're walking around the house where the guy who doesn't want to talk to you for three, four months, it's a, bit, it's a bit scary. Um, but no, ultimately, um, that's kind of like the, the roots are, are the sales and marketing roots. So, you know, growing up and, um, uh, obviously, uh, in London, I was a Wimbledon boy born and raised and, uh, you know it I think you know looking back on my early the early part of my career in the sales and marketing world, and particularly in the publishing business and the live event business, which I was in for about ten years before I kind of broke away and did my own thing, um, you know, I learned the importance of customer service and the importance of selling with integrity and the importance of, you know genuinely looking to Solve problems for people in the way that you sold, um, and and how to market certain things, and how to read prospects, and qualify people, and all that sort of stuff. And now, as an entrepreneur, all these years later, that foundational focus in the sales and marketing world, without a doubt, has led me to be in the position where I am now today. Yeah. Uh, and I place a massive, massive importance on relationships and um, on you know, being there for the for the people that I call clients as and when they need me and providing solutions to their problems. And that at the core of what we do as a group of businesses is everything day to day. We're here to solve a problem for people, plain and simple. And that's what every entrepreneur should be looking at doing on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that makes absolute sense. And I think um you know the thing that's coming out strongly there is is that you have those strong foundations, you know, and and it comes out strong in everything you do. And, and even, you know, the people you mix with your network is that observing you always you always seem to be thinking outside in. So you're always thinking from a from a customer or a prospects perspective, what's what's the, what's their challenge? And how do I come up with a solution to, to solve their problem? Is that fair?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's fair. Because if you can't figure that out, you're not going to be able to serve them. (laughs) It's that simple, right? I mean, it's, you know, and, and here's the thing, like a lot of people, and I'm seeing this a lot right now, people are doubling down on their efforts, they're doubling down on their side hustles, they're doubling down on building their brands or their companies or their audience or whatever it might be. And they're actually making horrifically bad mistakes in the process, because what's going on is they're trying to go too broad. They're trying to pick up a great, big, heavy DIY paintbrush and zoom in on the shading and the details of that fine piece of art they call business. And they're splattering paint all over the place, hoping that it's going to end up looking good. The fact of the matter is the more detailed you want to get, the smaller and thinner and more precise your paintbrush needs to be. With building your business, and so that's what I'm doing right now, and that's what I'm telling all of my coaching clients right now is to niche down even further. You know, serve mm-hmm. an even smaller part of that niche, so sub niche the niche almost, right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and really focus in on being as proactive as you possibly can for that sub niche in a in a, in a very challenging time where I see a lot of people being very reactive. And that's where the danger lies for everybody right now in businesses. You're being reactive and not proactive enough. And so, you know, that, that's what I'm teaching everybody. That's what I'm harping on to everyone that I call a client right now is that they've got to be proactive in their approach to, to running and building their businesses currently and not reactive.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, it's interesting because the, the, the word of the year has been pivot, hasn't it? You know, and <laughs> yeah. amongst other words. And, you know, I wonder sometimes if, if, if businesses and business owners were quite quick, quite hasty in pivoting, when actually it was more, and what I'm hearing from you is that the opportunity was to go deeper in the market they're already in, rather than kind of think, right, I've got this side. And I went through that. Process myself. I thought, right, I'm going to run this workshop for that. I'm going to do a workshop for this, and you know, because I saw all these different problems. But actually, it was about consolidating what I already know and, and going deeper uh, in in that actual market. Is that is that fair to kind of say? Actually, maybe I've already got the audience I need. I just need to be more of an authority in in that current industry that I'm in.
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to say. I mean, it's it's you know the the pivot has has. Definitely been a good thing for some people to do. Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rain on that pivot parade at all. Like, if, well, if save some
0: businesses, right? I mean, some totally, people, absolutely. So if, you like, yeah. If, yeah.
1: if you feel like you needed to do it and you did it and it worked out, then great, right? But what I am saying is that there's a lot of people. That have been pivoting because of that reactionary standpoint and that's where the danger lies like if you think about it logically and ourselves you know i can use my own you know business with with one of our businesses youpreneur the Upreneur brand as an example here you know we know about 80 percent of the people that jump on our mail list that pod, download the podcast that come to our live events that buy into our membership that, that have anything to do with that brand we know 80 percent of that audience is what we would class as a beginner level. Now, that doesn't mean that they're beginner entrepreneurs because we focus on helping people build strong and profitable personal brand businesses. A lot of our people in our industry, uh, or rather within our community, are already pretty well-established entrepreneurs. They're making good money, they've been in the game for a while, they know the difference between a blue car and a red car, and they know which one they wanna drive, and they just stick in their lane with what they're doing, right? But yeah. it's the 20% that I've doubled down on. It's the 20% of our clients that are not classed as beginners that are not necessarily learning about this process of building a personal brand for the first time that I've been doubling down on. So that 20% of those higher paying clients, those higher investing Uh, You know, coaching clients that we've been working with or whoever, whatever that 20% is. And it's different for me than it would be for you or for other business owners as well. I've been doubling down on that 20% because I know that's where I can have the most effect right now. That's where I can affect the most change and be the most use right now. That doesn't mean that I've turned my back on the 80%. The 80% are covered within nine times out of 10, the walls of the Youpreneur Academy, which is our low-priced monthly membership option, right? Youpreneur Academy serves that 80% perfectly, nine times out of 10. Mm-hmm. So we've run promotions for the Academy. We've made it a little bit more front and center on our website. We've mentioned it a few more times in PSs, in our email. That's one of the most underutilized email marketing strategies on the world in the world right now, by the way. Mm-hmm. Use your PS. Always have a PS to your emails because it burns. And and so we've we've done what we've needed to do to look after the broader side of our audience. But I've personally spent most of my time doubling down on that 20%. Yeah.
0: And so for people that are listening to this thinking, right, I've got to create some products and not everybody wants my high ticket item. You know, not everyone's buying into that. But what what you're saying is there's probably going to be 20% of people that are prepared to invest in themselves, to to spend that level of income, but sorry, uh, investment, but at the same time it's having a, another option, you know, uh, whether it's an alternative for the, for the other portion of your market.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. you know, this is not a time to, you know, turn your back on anybody within your community, anybody within your audience. Like you need to be the one that seen to be the leader right now. Uh, if I can use a star Wars analogy as a big star Wars fan myself, course, yeah. um, you know. Everybody wants to be Luke because he's the hero. He's got the lightsaber. He's battling Darth Vader and doing all that stuff. Like It's cool to be Luke, and it's not bad to be Luke. But right now, I want to be Obi-Wan. I want to be the old, wise mentor that at Mm -hmm. the end of this thing, where everything is said and done, we're kind of almost back to normal. I want people to remember that Chris helped them get through that, not necessarily showed them that he was getting through it. Instead, yeah. actually, was the guide that helped them get through it. I want to be Obi wan right now, not Luke.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's an interesting. One is it because you know everyone's on there, you know, using the hero's journey analogy, and actually being the mentor in that story. You know, going out and, and making your clients the heroes of, of the story. That's, that's what I'm taking from that is that how do I help my clients become, you know, I've got to be careful just because I'm a big Star Wars fan as well. And I found over recent years, when I use the analogy, I get a bit of sort of just a blank look, you know, I don't know if it's an age thing now or or what's happening. I'm like, surely you've watched Star Wars. I mean, I don't know if millennials aren't into it. I don't know. But, um, but I really, I
1: I had an answer to that question. I don't think millennials are really that into it. I've got a 22 year old daughter who, Uh Yeah. until recently completely refused to watch any star wars films at all in this household right. um yeah. uh, and and you know it was great when when the last you know the last three sets of movies were coming out that like, was great because we had a built-in babysitter all the time we could just go out and just do it right, right. now i forced her to physically <laughs> sit and watch the movies a couple of months ago with lockdown and everything. So we started yeah. in the right way. I mean, everybody knows you start with episode four and then you watch the crappy prequels and then you come back to watch the newer ones, right? So yeah, yeah. I I I will... I will back you up to the hilt with that and saying that I don't think millennials are remotely interested in Star Wars. No, my
0: daughter's definitely not. But I can
1: live with that. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as long as you've got your man cave to sit down and, you know, catch up on, on, on these things. I actually sat down with my son. we are digressing a little bit, but I sat down with my son. He's only three. And he was talking about Star Wars. He's got a backpack. He's got loads of stuff. And I write, we're going to watch A New Hope. It was like £15 on Amazon or something like that. I thought, right, let's, let's do this. Within 30 minutes, he was out of the room. Can we have Paul Patrol on? I was so gutted. I thought this is well, our moment of I'm right
1: three, now. Three, three. I just want to bring you back down on the la la land. It's right three, right yeah, it three years old. Yeah, I'm going to of years for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, so let's get back to this this idea then of of being an authority in your market. That's that's coming out strongly. Doubling down. You know, someone just commented actually on on LinkedIn this idea of sub niche in the niche. You know, that's that's something that people I think find quite hard. It takes some bravery, doesn't it? You know, to to really double down on that and say, I'm not, and I've heard Seth Godin say this, you know, I'm, I'm not that, I'm this. And being really brave and sticking to that. So that's coming out strongly from this conversation. Um, but also when you're being an authority, how do you help people be the hero of their story? How do you go out and make clients the hero? Uh, and you be the, the the mentor, the Obi-Wan, you know, Kenobi of of that story. What, what do you think is the, the thing that holds people back the most when it comes to being more niche, to to really think about their brand, their personal brand, and and becoming an authority, what is it? A mindset thing? Is it a skill issue? What What do you see as the biggest challenges for people?
1: I think it's different for a lot of people in different ways. I think it, it you know, there's a lot of a lot of things come into play when you think about building a, a personal brand and then a business based around that personal brand. You know, there's there's generational questions and issues that come into play. Like, you know, that there are there are certainly personal brands online um, that you know. L- let's let's say, for example, you know, one of these millennial YouTubers that makes you know Minecraft videos or whatever every day. You know, they're in their mid twenties. They've got you know millions and millions of subscribers on YouTube, um, and they get you know hundreds of thousands of people watching every video that they post within a couple of days of it being posted. People like you and I who are in the business niche, who post to YouTube. We look at those numbers and we're like, I don't get it. Like I'd love those numbers and I don't get it. Um, and so, you know, they have a personal brand, but I guarantee you the vast majority of those big YouTubers don't have a real business model. They're all about building their business. On rented land, in this case, YouTube, for example, and that is about as dangerous of a business strategy as you can potentially get, because none of them own YouTube. Their channel could be shut down overnight, and they'd be left with, you know, virtually no no real way of being able to make money at all. Now, the smarter uh, YouTubers, and we'll stick with YouTubers as an example, here, the smarter YouTubers who maybe are a little older, they're in their mid thirties, the early forties, their mid-40s, and so forth, they get they think about things a little more seriously. They might not have as huge of an audience as some of these big, particularly these video gamer YouTubers out there. But I tell you what they are doing, they're focused on the long play when it comes to the creation of the content that they're putting out. They want their video to be relevant today as well as five years from now. Um, They'll also spend a lot more time thinking about the person that they are actually creating that content for. And almost always, they're being smart enough to get people off of a platform that they don't own, in this case, YouTube, onto a platform that they do own, in this case, their website, and more importantly, onto their email list. So I think you know the the lesson in that is you know utilize these platforms for what they are and they're great traffic sources and and, and a way to be able to magnetize the eyeballs onto you your brand your message your business and what you can do but don't rely on them at all utilize them but don't rely on them and you must always try and get people back to your own hub your own home where you do control everything and get people on that email list so that you can talk to them directly without the use of having to go to another website um, but i think you know i digressed a little bit there but i went down a rabbit hole that no, it's I really was really
0: useful training cycle um, but
1: but i think that you know the the big thing here above and beyond everything else is i think a lot of times when i coach people through the early stages of building their personal brands a lot of the reasons why they're either not you know, putting their foot down on the gas hard enough or even just getting in the car to begin with is because of fear of rejection or fear of failure or fear of people laughing at them or fear of not, you know, pleasing enough people. And there lies the issue with also going too broad as well. You think, oh, if I have a broader audience, a bigger audience to talk to, I'll be able to make more money. No, not necessarily not necessarily at all. Give me a hundred people that open every email I send, that click on every link in every email, that buy every product I put out, that share every piece of content that I create into the world. Give me a hundred people like that. Over 10,000 people that do nothing on my email list. I'll take the hundred all day, every single day.
0: Yeah. 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 It's back to that 1000 true fans, isn't it? And
1: yeah, and, and that yeah. article by, by Kelly is, is is a great article, but I would actually beg to differ in this world. Remember, that article is many years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think we need a thousand true fans. I think you could do just well with a hundred, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. You know,
0: well, so can we touch on that a little bit then? Because <clears throat> you mentioned YouTubers let's talk about influencers because, you know, people are getting labeled as influencers, you know, people would label you as an influencer. There there are lots of people out there that would consider themselves influencers. One, because they've just got a huge audience. Um, But often, you know, I'm hearing stories of well-known influencers, you know, with massive following who are potentially, you know, have a a business that's making less profit than someone who is working with 100, 200, 250 people. but is making it as a, a far more profitable business. Are you seeing some of that? Are you, because I think that the, the point I'm trying to make here is that people feel like they're getting left behind if they haven't got a massive following, that they're not creating a proper business these days. And that's why
1: that, a, that's why so many people are stressing out over it. That's why imposter yeah. syndrome has become a term that everybody in, in, particularly in the online business, knows of nowadays. Um, you know, you can't and you should not compare your first or your second or your fifth or your 10th step to somebody else's 100th or one 1,000th 1, step. Like you, you just shouldn't do that. Like it's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. It's unhealthy to do that. Anyway. Unhealthy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is this, like these influencers, let's use the term lightly because half of them are just fake, quite frankly, right? Like they're in it, they're in it for the notoriety first And the profits actually for a lot of them are way down that totem pole, by the way, way down it. Like they want all the eye, but why do you think they fart around on Instagram all day long? Right. Like they just want and they love the attention above and beyond more than anything else. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, we are in a very consumption based online approach to living our lives nowadays. And we will follow people that we think, we can learn something from or that, uh, are maybe, uh, entertaining in some capacity, you know, and we're in this nature where we've got these devices and we're just scroll, scroll, scroll all the time. Many of us do it the moment we wake up before we even get out of bed, which is also unhealthy. But at, at the end of the day, we're in that environment where a lot of the influencers that have these huge followings, making very little money At all, And in fact, actually, there is a relatively large YouTuber that I know very personally, who was in that position up until probably the beginning of this year. And she slowly but surely started to make very, very unique, very specific changes to the way that she was creating content. And she's now actually building a real business, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. she's making way more money now than she was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago because of that mindset shift of, I don't need all the shares and all the likes and, you know, all mm-hmm. the love and the comments. Like I just actually need people to hear what I'm saying and to take action based on that. Um, and, you know, that's where that long game approach comes into play as well, which I'm always going on about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Playing the long game and, and also being just clear about your offer. I think that's something I've learned over the years is that so there's one, there's, there's kind of two ends of the spectrum is, there? is the, the marketing and building an audience and being seen as an authority as a thought leader, but it's often confusing for people if they say, "Well, what is it you do? You know, what what's the what's the offer? I'm, I'm bought into you now, and I want to I want to do business with you," and then it yeah. kind of falls. Uh, and, and that's what I'm hearing from uh, from a, an influencer perspective is I really don't know what it is you do. You kind of educate me, but what what's after that? And you'll find um,
1: you know a lot yeah. of people that are you know in that space that are doing good things. Um, mm-hmm. They're very experienced individuals. Like they have a lot to share on a number of different focuses, right? But you've got to pick one. I pick mm-hmm. the one and let me use Marie Kondo here. Cause I love the phrase, like pick the one that does spark the most joy for you because mm-hmm. we're only on earth for a finite amount of time. Like it's, it's different right. for everybody, but ultimately we're here for as long as we're going to be here. And we spend as as much time on work than we do pretty much anything else, particularly if we're entrepreneurs, obviously, right? So you better be enjoying what the heck you're doing <laughs> because otherwise yeah, yeah. you're just wasting your life fundamentally. Uh, and, and not complicated. complicated. Yeah, and, that's and, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, hmm. you know, you, you ask anybody that's kind of like, you know, in their older year, I love talking to older people. I don't know about you, like all of my mentors yeah. are, my personal mentors now are way into their late 60s and 70s. The vast majority of them, right? I would much rather go to an old people's home and sit and have a conversation with half a dozen older folks than hang out with the majority of the people that I know in real Talk life. <laughs> wisdom. yeah, Dude, I mean, they just, and here's the thing. This is what I love about older people more than anything else is they're dropping value bombs like it's their job and they don't even realize it. unaware of all the value that they're giving you you need to soak that up you need to soak it up yeah yeah yeah. what what do do you think this idea of reverse mentoring i gave my son a task and i said to him i want you to write five letters to five old people and i'm going to deliver those five letters to an uh, to a care home about a mile and a half away from where we live and you may or you may not get replies from them but i want you to and i want you to ask a different question relating to life for all of these five three out of five letters were replied to and i was amazed with what what they came back with like it was you know in in one of them was based on friendship another one was based on health and then another one i can't remember now but like they actually got back to and he read these letters and he was like oh yeah if an 11 year old boy can get it us adults should clearly be getting that as well you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah yeah, absolutely yeah there's a term that i heard recently about reverse mentoring and with young children you know and well 22 year old daughter as well you're you're familiar with this concept of actually going to the millennials and and having a mentor within that uh, demographic as well
1: absolutely yeah Yeah. yeah. and i think you know I, i think we can learn just as much from younger people as we can older people it'll be a slightly different type of Learning a slightly different takeaway, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think everyone, I mean, even my 11 year old boy is, I mean, he's a smart kid. I mean, you know, I appreciate that you know, a, a lot of children his age aren't in a position where they'll hear business conversations over the dinner table sure. most evenings because mm-hmm. that's what happens in this household. Yeah, um, of course. But, you know, he he literally over breakfast one day, maybe two or three weeks ago, he asked me, Dad, what's a profit and loss statement? I was like, where does this come from for an 11-year-old? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you know, I heard yeah. your mum talking about your, your P&L. Like, you know, what's a profit and loss That's there? awesome. Yeah. You know, so, that's, yeah I think these are the skills I
0: need to learn, right? I mean, presentation yeah. skills, business skills. These are the skills that we need to be teaching. Learning
1: how to not lose money if you want to go into business. Exactly. You know I mean? Exactly. exactly.
0: <laughs> um, Chris, you know, having worked with you over the last few years, what, what I really like about your approach is that you take a pragmatic approach. You know, I've heard mm-hmm. you talk about being a, a bricks and mortar type guy, you know, having a bit of proper businesses and then transitioning uh, the businesses to, to more of an online business. But um, what are some of the things that, the, you know, the pragmatic things people should be thinking about going forward over the next six months, particularly if they're looking to build a brand around them?
1: Well, I think, you know, time, I think, has become a little bit more precious for most people. Now, that might sound a little bit, weird because I a lot agree of us are on lockdown in some way shape or form but obviously a lot of us particularly at our age are at home with children as well um, they're not at school and obviously the summer holidays are going to kick off in a week or two anyway over here in the UK but I mean I, I think that you know guarding your time I think is is something that you've got to become really 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 good at uh, if you want to build a brand based around you because you know although we want to lean into that uh, uniqueness of what we're all about and why people need to follow us over one of our quote unquote competitors um, and we can go into why I believe that I don't have any competitors at all uh, in a minute but if if, we, if we're not guarding our time then we're not going to be able to serve the people that we want to attract into our ecosystem, To begin with, likewise, um, I think it's just as important to double down on developing ourselves as well as leaders, right? Like, we must continue to learn in order to continue to lead. I'm a big believer in that. And that's why you see so many books behind me. By the way, that's nothing. That's like 30% of how many books are in this household. So, you know, we're big readers. We have a rule here that when you get to the last quarter of any book, you can go online and order the next book. So it's here in time for mm-hmm. when you finish the current one. Um, And that's something not just for my kids, but me and my wife and, you know, anyone that that's is crazy. in the household, right? So I think the ability of one, guarding your time to continuously feeding your brain, and it doesn't need to be books. It can be podcasting, be YouTube videos, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, to go back to what you said, um, you know, getting very clear on what the promises are that you're making people that you want to, you know, attract into your ecosystem. Like, now is the time. Now is the time to not go broad. Now is the time to niche down and and to get a little bit more specific with your messaging, with you know, s- spreading of that message and where you want to do it. Like, you're you're right now. I think you're streaming. Correct me if I'm wrong on LinkedIn. Facebook and YouTube, did you say?
0: Correct, yeah.
1: those are the three platforms we're streaming. Are there any more right now?
0: I guess it's Twitch, isn't it? I'm not on Twitch, but that's the... Okay,
1: but you're streaming right now to those three, right? Absolutely, we're streaming right now. Okay, but which is fine, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I guess you've probably got a favorite out of those three. Um, yeah. And that's where you need to be focusing in on. That's where you need to get into the comments section. That's where you need mm-hmm. to connect with those followers and follow them and share their stuff and answer their questions and poise questions to them and build up that rapport and that p to p or that people to people relationship that I'm always harping on about like yeah. that. Just just getting more specific man. guarding your time, mm-hmm. continuously learning and getting more specific is where you want to be
0: yeah yeah that's fantastic i think you know that that the idea of of um valuing your time more than your money essentially and it amazes me still you know people in our inner circle we talk about this a lot but you know if you you can find someone that will do a job that you hate doing much better for in some cases a tenth of what you're paying yourself it makes absolute sense to outsource that that work and and I mean obviously this is your you know one of your businesses is is helping people do that right
1: yeah and I, but but again you know <laughs> show me an entrepreneur that's not a type A individual and I'll give you a tenner. You know what I mean? Like it's, and there lies the issue where, you know, almost all entrepreneurs, particularly those that are looking at building a business based around their expertise and their experiences, right? um, Those are going to be relatively confident, relatively outgoing individuals that um, kind of like to be the center of attraction you know, or attention rather than, they're not, you know, complete sociopaths or anything like that, but, or egomaniacs, but they kind of, they, they value or they know the value behind their worth, their personality and the way that they deliver things. And there lies the problem because they are also the worst when it comes to delegating. They want to do everything themselves. They think that nobody can do anything better than them. Uh, myself included. I've been guilty of this before in the past. Um, and you know that leads to burnout, which leads to no good for anybody um, and uh, certainly to no profits. So I think you're right. Time is money. Uh, we do have to protect our time. It's without a doubt our most valuable commodity. I always say that. Um, but a lot of people look at, they don't look at it the right way. They look at it the wrong way. I'm going to hustle harder. I'm going to work more hours. I'm going to put in more effort. Um, And this hustle and grind mentality, um, particularly the older generation of entrepreneurs like ourselves, it's killing that generation slowly but surely. There's more entrepreneurs, more business owners having heart attacks and dying in their 40s than ever before in the history of the world. And the reason why is because they're amped up on caffeine and working 16 hours a day, seven days a week, years and years and years trying to build a business. And, And then people wonder, oh, he was 42 and had a heart attack on the treadmill. What? Yeah, because yeah. he was in there at four AM because it was the only time he can get into the gym. And he thinks by being in the gym at four, it sets him up for a sixteen hour workday. Stupid. But
0: unfortunately.
1: Unfortunately, many of us don't see it until it's too late. You know, I mean I, I burned out weird. in late two thousand nine. Um, and that was the wake up call for me to change my lifestyle, to focus on my health and my sleep and my exercise mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff and and incidentally i don't like exercising you've got kettlebell bell behind you i'd stay as far away from those things as i possibly can i i don't like exercise i'm the first to admit it but i do it four times a week because i know it's good for me and i know it means that i'm going to be around longer for my kids
0: and that's the why isn't it you know i I, we talk about this you know i want to get a six-pack i want to do a body transformation actually when you get past all of that it's i just want to be able to carry my kids to safety if i have to I want to be able to play sports with them one day you know when, when we're older you know that's that's the true motivation behind all of this
1: six packs are overrated anyway i mean
0: absolutely. Like, absolutely unless
1: unless you're going to be a bloody cover model for men's health or something you don't need a six pack i'd rather have a strong back than a six pack <laughs> you know what yeah, i mean
0: yeah, yeah i mean I've, I've come from a sports background and i've you know you speak to a lot of athletes or even people that are on the front covers of these magazines. They are full of inflammation. They're in pain. Mm. Um, you know, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Chris, as always, you, you bring so much value to this. And I really appreciate the, the, the things you're putting out and helping us navigate this moment in time. You know, the work you're doing on YouTube, Instagram, etc. I do have one last question I'd just like to, just to explore with you, because there will be people out there who are creating products. They become emotionally attached to that product. Uh, they're not sure if it's going to work. They don't know when to let go of it. Do I do I cut my losses now and move to something else? You know, we talked about the pivot. Um, you've had that experience this year with the Upreneur Summit where you moved it to an online uh, and unfortunately you just had to let it go. And you, you've been very open about that. I, I, I wondered if you just share maybe just some insights along the lines of this idea of when, when do you when do you make that choice to let go of something that you feel emotionally connected to?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been an entrepreneur 16 years now, almost. Um, and obviously, I've had to make a lot of tough decisions. Uh, I've taken a lot of risks. Some of them have panned out. Some of them haven't. Um, but I've, I've had to make a lot of tough decisions. Everything from, you know, ditching products to passing up on opportunities to firing people. You know, you name it, right? I've, I've done it all. In 16 years you're building a number of different businesses. You've pretty much handled every scenario that you can think of until a pandemic comes along. Um, And you know, that kind of throws another curveball at you and you sort of have to look at that a little differently as well. But in relation to uh, this year's Youpreneur Summit, you know, this has been, uh, I've been running on, you know, live events since 2011 and literally every single event that I've run has sold out. Uh, And a lot of the time it sold out months in advance and the Upina summit has been no uh, you know uh, has been no different we've done 3 years in a row with that event in london we've sold out usually 3 months in advance of the event we've got a max capacity at the queen elizabeth center of 360 people we max it every year this year was going to be no different we we had another you know for the fourth time an incredible speaker lineup and then the pandemic hit and i knew man I knew that I knew the moment I went into the lockdown that it was not going to happen in person. I knew it. I just felt it in my gut. And nine times out of 10, your gut actually will steer you in the right direction. Nine times out of 10. uh, You very rarely regret saying no as much as you will do saying yes. Um, And I looked at it and I said, you know what? It's not going to happen. We're going to sit on it for a bit. We're not going to make any announcements, but I can feel it ain't going to happen. Months before I made the announcement to go online with the event, I was in communication with our venue about pushing it to the next year to trying to save our deposits and all the rest of it. Um, and although I was able to do some of that, um, we're down a good chunk of change by not doing it because you know, it's a big venue. Um, you know, agreements are what they are and there's not a lot you can get out of certain things um so we said you know what we got a good online following we're known as a live event company ultimately but we have a good online following let's reach out to all the speakers before we make any announcements and see whether they would still be in if it was to go to an online format which i did every single one of them came back and said yes i'm in i was either based on the fact that it was going to go online i was even in a position to be able to sign up another couple of speakers that were not on the original roster um, that would never have traveled to the UK for one reason or another from the United States. And I was able to get them to um, uh, agree to, to speak and, and add their name and their their value to the event as well, which was a massive bonus, huge bonus. Um, yeah. And so, okay, we're going to do it. We'll go online. So we, we've redeveloped the website to an online format. We, we're not worrying so much at this point about how things would run, but we've got the dates. We've got a rough schedule. Um, and uh, you know we work with our copywriters to put together some great copy for the website. Uh, there's a series of emails that we're going to go out. We work with our graphics people to put together great graphics, some of the most beautiful event graphics we've ever put together, I think, to be honest. Um, and uh, we launch. And I knew after the first day that I was going to have to cancel it. After the first day, I knew.
0: What was what was the the driving force then for you? Was it just the
1: numbers crickets?
0: just weren't there. Yeah.
1: The numbers yeah. weren't there. You know, I don't have any tattoos. If I was to get a tattoo, it would be just a simple message on my chest somewhere that read, the numbers never lie. Right. I've said it a gazillion times in my career, and I learned it from one of my mentors many, many moons ago. The numbers never lie. Um, and I appreciate they're in slightly uncharted territory in regards to going online after being on you know an online or a, or a live or rather a live event um, you know, company. But even so, I know what our numbers are, I know how many people are on our email list, I know how much how much money I'm spending on ads. I know how many people are visiting the website, how many people are opening emails, clicking on links and all the rest of it, and the numbers just weren't there. But I'm not a quitter, so I put my foot down on the gas even further, spent a little bit more money, spent a little bit more time, sent out another couple of emails to different segments of our list to try different things out, and still after an entire week and a half of promoting the event pretty hardcore, the numbers were still not there. Now, don't get me wrong. We did make sales, not a bad number of sales either, quite frankly, mm. and I'm sure that more would have rolled in, obviously, between now and when we were going to do the event later in the year, but I know our numbers. I know yeah. our numbers, and they don't lie, and they weren't there, so I had to call it plain and simple, and we yeah. canceled the event, because I know me, I'm not going to go half ass into something at all. I don't care if it's in person or live online. When I've got the type of speakers, the pedigree of speakers on my lineup that I had, I'm not going half ass on that because of that. Forget about the people who registered the event. I don't want to look like an idiot in front of my peers and friends. So I'm going to go all in anyway. And when you go all in on something for three or four months, you better have the payday attached to it. I'm an entrepreneur at the end of the day. And uh, so I decided to go ahead and cancel the event. I knew the numbers weren't going to be there. I wasn't going to be worth yeah. my time, let alone anybody else's.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think what your audience really appreciated was how human you were about it. You know, so some people might just go um, closed, you know, shop shut. Um, yep. Sorry, you know, but I think a, there was a lesson in there for, for any business owner, which was confronting it. And you put the video out and you let people know. And, you, and it, was, it was quite, it was a humbling Message. And I think there's a lesson for any business owner, which is sometimes you just got to face it, you know, and yeah, and and speak to your audience.
1: And bear in mind, you know, I mean, this is a popular event. There are hundreds mm. of people on the wait list every single year. We don't have a problem selling the event out. But clearly this year it's just too funky for want of a better right. term. And um, I don't know about you, I'm kind of over 2020 already. I'm dealing with it, but I'm kind of over <laughs> Yeah, it. yeah, um, yeah. And That's it's nice Yeah. And, you know, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. If it's not going to work for me, then it won't work for anybody else involved, plain and simple. And so we had to make a call. And there was a reason why I put that out on video. I mean, I knew I was going to have to obviously write an email to the people that have registered for the event. And like I said, we did make sales, just not as many to make it worthwhile as we needed to. So I was going to have to put out an email. Anyway, and I was going to have to put something up on our podcast because I talk about the event all the time on the podcast. I drop it in, I mention it, get on the wait list here, blah, 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 blah. So I knew I was going to have to do something for the podcast. And, well, you know what? If I'm going to do that, I might as well record the podcast, but also just stick a video camera in front of me as well, Mm -hmm. because it is a human decision. I am a business owner, just like anybody else. And I needed to allow people to see my uh, sincerity and my facial expressions when I was talking about what I was talking about. And I literally, before I got on a call with you, I was talking to my graphic designer down in Sydney in Australia. And he was saying to me, I just got done watching your YouTube video about canceling the event. So i got to be honest, I had tears in my eyes watching it. He said, I could see the, the pain and the, you know, the, the, the upset look on your face about having to, cancel this thing it which is clearly so important to you personally yeah. like i could see it in your eyes and it brought mm-hmm. me to tears i was like yeah, wow well, well, i don't even cry recording it if other people are <laughs> crying watching it i'm i'm fine with that <laughs> <laughs> it brings it out
0: yeah yeah yeah, you yeah.
1: know and that's but it was the, tough, the, it was the right it was the right decision to make it was a tough one yeah, but yeah, it was yeah. the right decision to make and i yeah. i led with my head instead of my heart and sometimes entrepreneurs need to do that too
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, Chris. It's it's been wonderful speaking to you. Uh, and again, you know, you, you brought so much value. And people listening in, whether you're watching this, watching the replay, listening to it on iTunes, uh, I'm sure there are so many things that you can take away from this. But you know that I'm, what I'm hearing strongly is, you know, go deep in that niche, keep adding value, and you know, be that authority. And this is a massive opportunity to do that right now. So Chris, thank you so much. Now people are clearly gonna wanna find out more about you uh, if they've not heard of you already. Where should we send them? Where, where, where's the best place for people to go to, to learn more about? Well, if you want to know about do?
1: me, my stuff, my work, what I do, chrisducker.com. I wouldn't be a very good personal brand business coach if I didn't have my own personal brand website, right? So chrisducker.com. But if you want to learn specifically about building that, that future-proof business around yourself, then you can go to youpano.com. That's where it's all at. Great.
0: Yeah. And we'll put the links in, in the comments and in um, the show notes. So thank you, Chris. I really appreciate your time. It's been awesome. Thank you for listening to the Scale Without Burnout podcast. For more free resources and content on how to grow and lead your business and become the best version of yourself, head over to com.